everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is book club. Um, We read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. We've both read this book before. Becca reads it every single year. This was, I think, my second time reading it. But it's interesting. I feel like I get something new out of it every time I read it. And it's just such a great book if you're feeling creatively uninspired or even if you are feeling inspired, it's a good book to read. I am so excited for this book club because I have a lot to say about this book. But before we get into book club, how are you doing? What is your high this week? I'm great. We have a new president. We do. I just feel so sparkly and happy over that. I cried way more than I expected to during the inauguration and not even during the important parts, during the nothing parts. Oh, yeah. Like random things. Cried a lot. Kept crying watching the fireworks during the evening show. Oh, I didn't watch those. Oh, they were great. Um, It was great. I'm so happy. I feel so relieved. Yeah. Like social media is happy again. I mean, that's temporary. It's going to be a little while. But I went on Twitter this morning and like nobody was angry and like screaming. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Good job, internet. Good job, internet. Besides that, I had a really good weekend last weekend. Um, You and I had a fun dinner with Raina Greenberg from Girls Gotta Eat and then Rachel. Um, So that was really nice. We went to ABC Kitchen. One thing I've been doing before I leave is making standing reservations at all my favorite spots. So like Raul's and ABC Kitchen and Pastis and what's the other one? Oh, Le Bilbo K. Um, I've just been going on Resi and like I have – I save everything that I love to my hit list and then I just go in um, like a couple weeks in advance and make reservations. We're going to Carbone on Saturday. I'm very excited. I'm benefiting highly from this goodbye tour. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't go out to eat that often. I would say probably two two times a week, but I want to make it count and go to like all my favorite spots, which are mostly in the city. But – It's been warm enough to eat outside, and that's a big surprise for me because when I was in Charleston, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to be done with outdoor dining. It's way too cold. No, it was really nice on Saturday night when we went out. Yeah, and then the next day, my friend John and I went to Raul's for um, brunch, which Raul's is one of my favorite spots, and they're closing for six weeks as of January 31st. So I'm actually – I made a dinner reservation there too because I want to eat there as much as I can. I'm going to – I don't know if my jeans are going to fit. I like love their Steak Au Poivre so much. And for brunch, they have this like apple souffle pancake thing, which is like – It's absolute heaven. So that's been really fun. And then the inauguration, obviously. I saw my niece on Saturday. Um, Just like good little things. And I mean, I feel like last weekend felt like close to normal. It did. And it was all outdoor things. And like I was, you know, being like I don't feel as risky like doing outside things. I'm not like going to parties or hanging out indoors with people. But having a meal outside or or seeing my niece outside, those things I'm comfortable with. How about you? Um, So first of all, We mentioned this last week, but uh, tomorrow we have a bonus episode with Elizabeth Gilbert, and it was such a life highlight to talk to her. I co-signed that big time. I saw that you put this in as your high, and I was like, damn, I can't make that my high. I have been such a fan of hers for so long, and she truly lived up to and exceeded my my expectations. And the conversation is a little bit about this book, but also just about life in general. And she was wonderful. The creative pep talk at the end. She was great. Yeah. Also, I had a lovely weekend too, some of it with you and some of it not. But I agree that it felt felt weekendy. Like it felt different. I felt like I 
put a punctuation mark on the week. So um, on Friday, Rachel came over and we did a full puzzle. Wow. I loved it. It was great. We had dinner on Saturday night at ABC Kitchen, which was so fun. And then on Sunday, I sat down with a knitting project. I haven't done any knitting this season, and I knit most of a hat. Good work. My goal is to finish it by Who's the hat for? me. Okay. You made me a hat a few years ago. I know. The goal is to finish the hat by this weekend so I can wear it when we go out to dinner on Saturday. Perfect. So, yeah, I, I'm feeling great. Yeah. What about on the low side? Um, I don't have a low. Do you have a low? My low, well, it's kind of a low because Tyrion is back in his cone of shame. He scratched his eye again, and this time it seems a little bit worse. Um, he was he, He's looking better today, but um, it's just sad. Like when he does this to himself, which it's because he has such large like marble-like eyes and a very flat face. So it happens at least once a month. Like he'll just get like a speck of dust into his eye and then he scratches himself. I'm I'm really grossed out by eye things. Yeah, it's not great. Um but he gets like very sad. Like he sleeps next to me, like he puts his face next to me and just like I become his protector. And Aww. it's it's like kind of cute, but it's also just like so sad. Oh. Um, so that, and then my other one is a stupid low is I just don't like dry January and I've stuck with it so, so long, but I wanted to have champagne for the inauguration. I had wine last night. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing, um, I guess what I would call damp January where I'm allowed to drink on weekends, but not on weeknights just to like, you know, reset my system, be a little healthier with habits. But, um, I definitely have wine on last night was the, the inauguration. So. Yeah, I um, I was like, it's funny you said damp January because I was with John for brunch and he was like furious at me for not drinking. And we were with the server and he was just like, make her drink, make her drink, tell her damp January. And I was like, John, why do you care? Have your martini. I'm going to have an orange juice. It's fine. It was really funny. We'll see. I, I maybe dry January is over for me. I don't know yet. We'll find out. I'm going to stick it out. I just feel like I've made it 21 days so I can go another week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get into our book club discussion, quick desperation minute that if you're enjoying this podcast, we would love for you to leave us a review in the iTunes store. Um, Or if you've already done that, take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend who might enjoy it or post it to your Instagram stories, especially if you read the book. I feel like I just want to spread the gospel of this book. So hopefully you know people who would enjoy it too if you did. Yeah. But let's take a quick sponsor break. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers professional therapy online via chat, video, or phone, so you can talk to a licensed counselor from the comfort of your couch. As we think about setting New Year's goals, taking care of our mental health is at the top of both of our lists. And maybe one thing on your list for this year is to try therapy. But it can be so overwhelming to dive in. Like, where do you find a therapist? How do you know what they specialize in? Do they take your insurance? What if it's not a match? So I love that BetterHelp is solving all of these problems and saving you wasted time. BetterHelp offers private, affordable online counseling when you need it without having to leave your house. They make it so easy. 
Here's how it works. You fill out a simple online questionnaire that will assess your needs. Then they'll ask you about your age, relationship status, and past experience with therapy and what you're looking to address, and then match you with your own licensed professional therapist. They have counselors who are specialized in everything from depression, stress, and anxiety to relationships, trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem issues. And you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. You can message them anytime and get timely, thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. And best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. And they're really committed to facilitating great matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. If you're skeptical, you should check out the testimonials on their site. It's very clear that their patients are really happy with them, and they've helped so many people. It's incredible. And everything you share is, of course, always confidential. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash badonpaper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash badonpaper. Grace, shall we get into this discussion? Yes, let's do it. So I think we're going to do things a little different today because this is not a fiction book. So there's not really a plot summary. So we'll kind of try to tell you a little bit about what each section is about as we're talking about it. But there's no formal plot summary. Yes, exactly. Basically, like just to give you the highest level, the book is Elizabeth Gilbert's thoughts on living a creative life. Yes. And there's, I think, seven or eight chapters. We're going to go through each one of them and kind of the lessons that we learned and our biggest takeaways. Um, But it talks about everything from courage to enchantment um, to giving yourself permission. um, Lots more. We'll get into it, though. Yeah. But before we dive into the book, I'm curious, do you think of yourself as a creative person and have you always? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from my earliest childhood moments, like creativity was like the biggest thing that my mom and my dad like encouraged and my sisters and I. What about you? I know the answer to this. I I think of myself as a creative person now, but I didn't always. And I've re- I've been reflecting on I've always this. thought you were creative, which is funny that you didn't think you were. That is interesting. I um, remember bubble bar and brainstorming yeah. sessions. I feel like you and I were the only ones that would like contribute ideas. <laughs> I guess so, but I never thought of ideas as being creativity. I've been reflecting a lot on this as I read the book and as I got ready for this episode. And I was a very creative child, like very, very creative. And I was an only child, so I had to entertain myself a lot. So like I wrote stories and I loved coloring. And um, I brought a story that I that I wrote in fourth grade. I guess I won't read it to you because it's a page and a half. It's better than I thought it would be, frankly. It's a scary story. That is highly influenced by Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) That's your summary. Um, I found it when I was ripping apart my apartment trying to find my birth certificate so I could find out what my rising sign was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, and in childhood at some point, like in elementary school and middle school, we had to take art classes and music classes. And I always really enjoyed them. But the area where I excelled was math. I was very, very good at math and also reading. I had like a high reading comprehension level or whatever. And at some point, I feel like it was 
either implicitly or explicitly told to me that I was better than other people at math, but I was never better at, uh, than other people at art or music, even though I enjoyed it. And I was like definitely pushed towards math. And so I always considered myself somebody who was more left-brained than right-brained, but it never really came into play what I enjoyed. And it's really alarming, I guess, that I went through all of high school, all of college, thinking that I was not a creative person. And I gave up all of those creative things that I enjoyed because I wasn't going to be the best at them. Yeah. And um, it really wasn't until the past few years that I've come back around to think of myself as a creative person. And now I'm I'm pursuing creative pursuits in terms of writing. Um, but when we were at Bottle Bar, like I didn't think of myself as a creative person whatsoever. Interesting. Like I thought of myself as like a numbers and spreadsheets and analytical person. But like if you would ask me if I was creative, I would have said no. Interesting. I was totally pushed in a different direction. I was always really good at English, history, and art. And so those were the things that I was kind of pushed into. And then I but kind then of- you were a finance major. Yeah. Well, then I kind of rebelled because, well, the only reason I became a finance major was I really wanted to be a buyer for a department store. And I heard that it would give me a leg up if I changed my major from marketing, which marketing is a much more creative major, to finance. So I literally just changed majors because I wanted the job and I got the job was not a creative job at all. It was no. mostly spreadsheets. Bad decision, but I turned it around and got myself a job into mark in marketing. Yeah, I was always like I was always very good at English and I was really really into history and like anything art related. Yeah. Yeah. And I I guess why did this book resonate with you and like it, I don't know if there was a specific part that resonated the most with you. I was reading this book like as I'm doing all this work with Jackie Lachlan, who is like kind of like a professional and personal coach. She specializes in influencers. We're going to have her on the podcast in a few weeks. So you guys will get to know her and the kind of work we're doing. But a big thing that she's talked to me about is fear and how I I am a very fearful person. Like I've always thought that it's a good thing because I'm very conservative and I weigh the pros and cons constantly. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I live with a lot of fear. Like I remember talking to you even, this is not a creative thing, but like about moving to Charleston and being like, I'm just so scared of like what people will think or this and that. And like, you cannot live your life based on fear. And so I think that, like I said earlier, parts of this book resonate with me differently every time I read it. But for me, the big thing was fear. And then also the parts on curiosity, because I've always said this about dating and also friendships. The biggest thing I look for in other people is a curiosity and I feel like the most interesting and exciting and cool and successful people I know are very curious. And she really cemented a lot of the things I'd already thought um, with the way that she wrote about curiosity. Yeah. And also like the part about following your curiosity versus following your passion. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Well, I agree that I definitely got different – have gotten different things out of this every time I've read it. And I've probably read this book four or five times. And last year, I decided that it was going to be a January tradition to read it every year. And I think the first time that I read the book, what I got out of it most was there's this story right in the beginning of the book where she talks about her friend who – her friend is named Susan. She 
is 40 years old and she takes up figure skating. I love that story too. Yeah. And she'd skated as a child, but she quit in adolescence because she didn't have the talent to be a champion. And the story doesn't end with her quitting her job or winning a championship. She just, um, she just does it because she likes it. And I feel like that was something that really opened my eyes that you don't, you can be creative without being the best at it, without doing it professionally. Um, only doing it for yourself and not showing other people like that, I think really switched something in my brain that I don't think that this book was what changed my mind that I was creative, but I think that that part in particular changed my point of view. Yeah. Like I read this book the very first time because I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth Gilbert and somebody told me it was interesting. And so that's why I read it. It wasn't because I thought I was creative. Yeah. Interesting. And then this time that I read it, I think the thing that resonated with me the most was hearing somebody who I think is very talented and kind of at the top of their field uh, in terms of writing specifically, but talking about how it doesn't come out perfect. So like, I, I, I think it's really easy to look at published books and be like, it just fell out of somebody's head like that. And to understand that, you know, they're grappling with it and it didn't necessarily come super easily. And the first draft maybe sucked. Um, I just, I feel like it was really comforting and validating to hear that, you know, all of these really smart people aren't just gifted and like touched with genius, but, you know, are actually working hard at a finished product, even though it looks effortless. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I really loved, so we're, I guess we're talking about the first chapter, which is about courage. Um, I really loved how candid she was about talking about her weaknesses as a child and how fearful she was. And, you know, even like being afraid of people going in the ocean, like it's, it was like very dramatic the way she described it, but like the way that her mother was like, nah, you're not going to be a scaredy pants. Like you're going to do these things. It was just reassuring to me that somebody who's like made all these bold decisions in their life and also, you know, written all these incredible books, of course, like also like struggles with being afraid of stuff. How has fear impacted your creativity or how has like fear played a role in your life? To be perfectly honest, I think um, the thing that I think about most is leaving my day job. Like I could have left probably two years earlier, um, but I held on because mostly I was afraid of what people would think. I was afraid that I wouldn't succeed. I was afraid that people would judge me for being like a full-time blogger. Ew, gross. Like she's not, or like people would think I wasn't ambitious or didn't have a work ethic. I'm like, fuck it. Like at the end of the day, fuck what people think. And I could have probably, I probably would have grown my Instagram much quicker in that case, because back then it was really easy to grow on Instagram. But I, you know, I try not to look back and like have regret because I think regret is kind of just as dangerous as fear. But I do think if I just was just a little less conservative and a little bit more bold with my decisions, I could have like probably I, maybe I'd have half a million Instagram followers today. I think fear. Uh, I I didn't think of it as fear at the time, but in retrospect, in in the context of this book, it it definitely was. Um, I think that up until we started this podcast, really. I had a fear that my interests were um, silly. And, you know, even with 
I've always loved young adult books and I've loved romances and I've loved these books that are not serious Pulitzer Prize winning type books. I like some of those books too, but more often what I want is something that is happy or something that is light and it is not something that is incredibly serious. I still struggle with that with like conversations with people like I like especially talking to men and they're like, "Oh, you read a lot. Like, what are you reading right now?" And I have to be like, "Oh, this this book it's like about a girl who like works in a magazine and then she hates her coworker at first and then they fall in love." Yeah, and I I think it I, makes me feel very frivolous. It does, and I think that I always um I wasn't willing to own that I enjoyed that as much as I did because I thought that there was something shameful about it. And then I think it also blocked me from saying, like, I want to create that, which realistically, like, rom-com pods is very frivolous and not serious or necessary in any way. And I think that I definitely had some fear around that. And I think I also have a lot of fear around just being brought up in such an achievement-driven way from a young age. And I think, like, there is something about knowing that I'm not going to be the best at something creative, anything creative, like something I'm good at and especially like certainly never going to be the best singer. I mean, that doesn't really bring me any joy to sing or – I've never heard you sing. It's not great. But, you know, realizing that there are reasons to do something other than being the best. Yes, I agree. And that also like you can do things that are not your personal best either. Yeah. You know, like the story that she told – I think it's later, but she she gives the example of Harper Lee who wrote To Kill yes. a Mockingbird. Oh my God. And Harper Lee has since released another book that she wrote in the past. I don't think she wrote it super recently, but she she talks about how she wishes Harper Lee just churned out five more books that were like a police procedural, a romance, like nothing to do with anything. I think there's also something to like you don't need to – having this fear of putting something out before you're at your full best and like that holding you back too. Yeah, I know. Um, I think that like a big theme about the of this book is that fear can hold you back when if you if you're not constantly thinking about it. So it's become something I'm just like always is is always on my mind. Like, am I not doing this thing because I'm afraid, or am I not doing it because I don't want to? Yeah. One thing that and we're gonna have her on the podcast at some point too is that Jackie always says to me is like, fear is the only thing that gets smaller as you run towards it. And I just – that was something that really resonated with me. So, like, do the thing and it gets so much less scarier. This, like, even just, like, for you, example, like, writing the first chapter of your book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the second section after she talks about fear is about enchantment. And she has this really delightful and joyful relationship with her creativity as opposed to, you know, something sad and dark and tortured. And we talked to her about that in the bonus episode tomorrow. But what resonated with you in this um, in this section? I just love this part. So I thought that the whole part about how ideas work and how like it's almost like these ideas are like their own little like their own little like people. Like they come to you and you can say yes to no or no to them or maybe you say not right now. Or they can go to someone else. Um, So this whole idea that ideas kind of just have their own sort of free will. I also really liked how she talks about how she finds ideas versus having them. It was just such a great way to refer to them. Do you want to know something really interesting? I've been reading um, a lot of craft books about writing just to try to learn and and, – 
um, see how other people approach it. And um, I was reading uh, On Writing by Stephen King. And obviously, Stephen King is very, very different from Elizabeth Gilbert in terms of like who he is as a person and also the type of work he does. And he shared this exact same philosophy in a different way. He um, he expressed it as ideas being buried in the ground and you having to like unearth them, but that they were there and fully formed and not yours. And it was your idea to like try to get the idea out without damaging it, but that like it wasn't your idea. You were just like the conduit. Oh, interesting. And then I also kind of heard this idea when I did – Shonda Rhimes's masterclass, which I will not stop talking about. It was great. Um, and she talked about she had kind of a different um, spin on it where Elizabeth Gilbert seemed to be like it was very much about being open and receptive to ideas. And Shonda Rhimes was like, you know, ideas come to you again, like a, another life force. The idea is another life force. And um, her perspective was like, you try to ignore it and then you know that it's the one that is meant for you when you can't, when you've tried to say no idea, like I don't want this and you just can't stop thinking about it. Oh, that's funny because I feel like Elizabeth would disagree that like you were like offending the idea and then the idea would go find somebody else. Maybe. I mean, it seems like Shonda Rhimes is pretty busy right now. So maybe she's less, (laughs) Yeah, um, she's more discerning with the ideas that she would like to adopt versus, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert in this book talks about across her experience with as like a child, a struggling writer when she was in her 20s. And so, you know, um, maybe at some point you you say, I only want the creme de la creme of ideas. Yeah. Shonda Rhimes now. The, this part reminded me like on a much lesser level was when I rebranded my site back in, I think, I think I started working on it in 2014. I went back and checked because I was like, is this when I read the book or is it after? It was before I read the book because I think the book came out in 2016. Um, I think it was 2015. Okay. Well, um, I had been like really struggling with an idea for what I would rebrand from Stripes and Sequins to. And I was just like – I had brainstorm meetings. I remember Alex and I did a staycation. We spent like hours like – like concepting and coming up with what we wanted the site to be called. And one day I still remember I was laying on, I was in San Francisco visiting a friend I was laying on the couch and I was like the stripe, the stripe. And I texted Alex and I was like, I think that I have the name for it. It just like randomly came to me and she was like, Holy shit, that's good. And she's like, and so I went online, it was available and it was $6,000 to buy it, which is a lot of money, but it was like even more money for me back then. It was like I was very scared of, of like buying it. And she, but I still remember Alex saying to me, somebody around the globe could be having the same exact idea as you right this moment, and so you better buy the domain name. And sure enough, when I did rebrand, I got two messages or emails because there weren't DMs back then. It was something from – fellow bloggers who were like, damn it, I was going to pick the stripe as mine. Because like, I think a lot of us had stripes in our um, in our blog names. And I just like, that's been something I've that's always stuck with me. And it was nice to see her kind of write it her way, because I really do believe in this, that ideas will come to you and they'll go to someone else if you ignore them. I thought the story that she told about Ann Patchett and and their friendship and that was ins- that was crazy. It was, and the idea of her very specific novel um, that she had started working on stopped working on, and then it Ann Patchett started working on what is State of Wonder, and it was the same idea, and 
Elizabeth in the book posits that she thinks that when she stopped working on the idea, the idea went and tapped on Ann Patchett's shoulder. Yes, and the two of them have like since talked about it, and they've decided. So when they first met, Elizabeth like gave her a big kiss because um, she was just so taken with Anne, and they both have decided that the that that kiss is where um, she transmitted the idea to Anne. I thought that was just like I. I had goosebumps reading that little story. I think the, you know, I think that there's all these coincidences and I don't know how much I, I don't know where I fall on this, but the thing that really stood out to me in this chapter, this section, was just the the joy that she approached everything with and she wasn't getting down on herself if it didn't come easily, if the idea, for example, went to Ann Patchett when it was her idea. Like she yeah. wasn't. She wasn't upset, and I think that – She wasn't possessive of the idea. She wasn't possessive of the idea, and, you know, she also talked about um, – I don't know if it was in this chapter or another, but she talked about, like, putting on lipstick and getting dressed up for the idea. And just, like, the the spirit of joy as opposed to it being, like, a drag. I just feel like throughout the book that was just such a refreshing point of view. Yeah, and I think we'll talk about it more towards the end, but um, in that – in the chapter about trust, when she tells the story about Brene Brown, and Brene has this like very academic background and approached everything much more seriously, and Elizabeth kind of got her to approach things with more lightness, and it was like life changing for Brene. Yeah, yeah. Oh, before we move on to the next chapter, one thing that really resonated with me was on page forty-one. I li- literally Ooh, wrote down the, the page numbers. Page number. Um, she talks about battling your demons as opposed to battling your gifts. And, um, you know, acknowledging that there's room for everyone. And it's also just this whole pep talk about like, yeah, you could like be moody or suffer or like be the like grumpy artist, grumpy tormented artist. Or like I think this chapter was called A Different Way. And she talks about you could take care of yourself. Like you can nurture your gifts rather than like running from them. And I just felt like that page, like it's now folded down and it's like every time I need a little pep talk, I'm going to refer back to page 41. I love that you wrote down the page number so specifically. Yeah. Yeah. I like my copy has like a lot of notes in it. Like I read this book with a pen. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Let's take another little quick ad break before we keep talking about the book. So I think we can all agree that we've been doing a lot more cooking at home the past year. And one thing that has made such a huge difference in both my enjoyment and my ease has been upgrading to a good knife. And my new best friend in the kitchen is my Misen chef's knife. Yes, me too. So my dad is a professional chef. And one of the things I've learned from him is that having a good knife is your most important kitchen tool. So I love that the Misen knife does it all and was actually designed to replace an entire set of kitchen knives. It really is amazing how you can use it for everything. So I made a stew the other night and I used it to do everything from slicing up the carrots, slicing the meat, to then chopping the onions and the garlic, um, to even slice, I don't know if you're supposed to do this, but I did, to slicing the bread up at the end. They say an entire set. Yeah, so it replaces your bread knife too. I, I've always, again, father as a chef, like don't like slice your bread with the other knives. Like, yeah. But I don't know. You did it. I did it. You lived. Yeah. The knife is also super good looking and really well designed. It has a unique sloped handle that allows you to chop more efficiently, easily, and safely. And Mizen's knives are crafted with high-grade stainless steel, so they stay sharper longer and are designed to last a lifetime. 
But the best part is that they're actually two to three times less expensive than other premium knife brands for the same amazing quality. Yes. And if you don't believe us, that's fine. But just go to their website because they have over 5,000 five-star reviews from real pro chefs, home chefs, and foodies like us. So if you're ready to step up your cooking game, head over to Meeson.com slash B-O-P for 20% off your first order. That's M-I-S-E-N dot com slash B-O-P for 20% off your first order. Meeson.com slash B-O-P. Okay. Let's move on to the chapter on permission. Yeah. So one thing I loved was hearing about her family and learning about her parents. Like it sounded like they had, you know, serious jobs, but they kind of did whatever the hell they wanted with the rest of their time. Like her dad's story with the goats, it actually made me be like, should I just get a lot of cats? Like, should I just have like five cats? That's creative living. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of. Kind of. Did you grow up in a creative family? No. Not at all. Not at all? Nobody in my family is creative. Like even if I'm thinking about like my cousins and my grandparents, like I can't think of anyone creative in my family. Everyone in my family – we're big readers. So okay. I feel like there was an appreciation for for creativity. Yeah. But no, I can't think of anyone in my family who was particularly creative. Interesting. You grew up in a very creative family. Yeah. Like my mom is super creative. My dad's a chef. Um, my dad's mother, my Grammy, was the most creative person I've ever met. She had a whole creative workshop down in her basement. And it was my favorite thing to go visit her, like, because she was really involved in her church. So she was, she spent like months preparing for the annual church fair, like creating, um, like just the way she packaged things up. She knit these hats that looked like strawberries. Um, this was like back before, those kind of hats have become more popular, but they were for kids. And it was like, they made them look like little berries. Um, and she made these dresses. Now Zoe wears them, but with, um, she knit them and then she like would sew like a, you know, really beautiful floral skirt on the bottom. She was just like magnificently creative. And my mom was always sewing. She made all of our Halloween costumes, Um, We always had a craft project. Like, we really didn't watch a lot of TV. And we also were kind of into our kids. We didn't – like, I was never into sports. So it was always, like, dress up and craft time. We were, like, doing stuff with polymer clay or making jewelry. But there was always a project. Yeah. It was fun. Very different from my – I mean, I was a creative kid, but I can't think of any adult in my family who had any creative passion. And you also were an only child. Yeah. Yeah. Like my sister was – I mean, she still is. She's a painter and she had, now has a textile line. But she she loved painting. So then we all got put in painting classes. I wasn't particularly good at it, but I loved it. Yeah. The part for me of this section that really stood out to me, and we talked a little bit about this kind of in part of the intro, was the idea of making things just because you like making things. Yes. And I wrote down this quote. I don't have a page number, so I don't know where it came from, but – Um, She wrote, for most of history, people just made things. They didn't make such a big freaking deal out of it. Yes. And that really struck me and just how simple it was where you don't need to, for example, write or um, make a painting so that it ends up in a museum. Like you can do it just for the joy of making it and to to have it because you like it or. Or even if you don't like it, it was fun to make it. Yeah. Yeah. That one just really stood out to me. I agree. The other thing is, um, you know, I was talking a little bit about kind of the embarrassment of creating art that isn't high art. 
before. And it it really this tied into for me to the idea of you. And I yes. I'm gonna just butcher this because I did not take the time to look up the actual quote, but at some point in the idea of you. Solen, who's the main character, is talking about how art that's made for women is discounted as less important. Yeah, and like the music or the art or the writing that women like is 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 thought to be fluffy, and you know, even if it's widely appreciated, like it's not serious. And that's something that just really it stuck out to me when I read the idea of you, and it like has stuck with me since then. And it kind of tied in here and it was like, yeah, F, F the patriarchy, man. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've also recently gotten really into Alan Hildebrand, as, as we all know. And um, I was listening to this interview with her and she was talking about how just not seriously she's been taken across her career because of the type of writing that she does, even though she went to the Iowa's Writer Workshop, which is one of the most prestigious creative writing programs in the country. And how she's just been taken not seriously. And I mean, I guess I'm getting onto a whole different topic of like the just inter- I don't even know what it what the solution is, but it's like you that's not your problem as the creator. Like, I don't know, like just getting out of your head and being like, it's worthy of being created, even if it's not gonna change the world. Totally. The parts that resonated most with me were there was two things. Um the first thing was the stop complaining section. And I really loved the idea that when you complain, you're scaring the inspiration away um, because we all complain. We all have tough days, all the things. But like it made me kind of be like maybe like I should stop complaining so much and just see what happens. The other thing was with criticism. And again, every time I read this book, I take something different away from it. And I've had a lot of criticism this year from randos on the internet that like I should not care about because like like literally who cares if someone like I could go on about that. But this really stuck with me. And she she wrote, imagine if I tried to create a definition of myself based on any of these reactions. And this was a quote that she had in the section about people putting people in boxes. And it kind of goes on with what you were saying about Ellen Hildebrand. It's like people put her in a box and have decided she's like this fluffy, not serious writer when in fact she's brilliant. And like brilliance looks very different in a lot of different ways. Like, um, and I think that it is very easy to criticize something you don't know about or you don't understand all the work that goes in between it. And I just think like, fuck it, like create what you want to make and stop worrying. And this is maybe a pep talk for myself. And stop worrying about what everyone else is going to think. And that, again, is also coming out of a lot of work with Jackie because she's said a lot of that to me. I think that the next section, which was persistence, was perhaps the most resonant and the most like the one that hit me the most this time. Yeah. I think this and then also the chapter on trust. These two chapters to me were the most meaty. And I feel like she really grabs me with the chapter on courage and then like kind of presented her ideas in this chapter, in the last chapter, like with the whole like idea of enchantment and the ideas coming to you and that they're like their own individual beings. And then like these two chapters were really meaty and helpful. Yeah. So I really liked that she kind of 
phrase this almost like in a relationship, like your relationship with your creativity. So it's like taking vows, having an affair. I love the idea of like treating your creativity like an affair, like hiding it from people and like check into a hotel room during lunch to like go write your book or work on your creative project. Well, that's it's so interesting because every time I read this, I can connect different dots. And and one book that I read this year was uh, Like Brothers by Mark and Jay Duplass. And it's a really interesting book and especially about being in a creative partnership, which yeah. I'm in right now, and how to work, how to be creative with another person. But they talked also in that about having an affair project. And um, I can't remember the circumstances. I think it was that they were like writing a movie and they were blocked. And so they – started writing this other project to, and they were like having this affair project and the affair project ended up being more successful than the original project, which I think like died somewhere. Um, but I, I love that idea of, well, both having an affair with your creativity, but then even having an affair. And this is something Elizabeth talked to us in the bonus episode where it's like, just because you are creative in one way, like doing something different and just like shaking up your creativity mm-hmm. can like, reframe things. Yeah, absolutely. The part that I love, the the part about the shit sandwich analogy, and it was so (laughs) funny because um, Carly uh, read this book for the first time this year, and she texted both of us, and this, it sounds like, was the part that was most resonant for her, was the shit sandwich analogy. So this, like, really cracked me up because it's, like, there's something bad about every job. So for me, like, it's, like, as an influencer, like putting my life on the internet, there's always going to be somebody that like hates what I'm saying and hates what I'm doing. And they're going to decide to go on a, a snark site about me, or they're going to message me that they hate me or that I look like shit or whatever they want to say that day. And like being a human punching bag. But you know what? I've had day jobs where there's the shit sandwich part of the the job is like a panic attack or like a boss that like kept me there till 8 p.m. every night when I was getting in at like 8 a.m. So that that online criticism, I can deal with that. Like that's fine. Like I get to set my own hours and do something I love. And that was like a little pep talk for me because I was like, yeah, every job has like really shitty parts. Yeah. There's a business analogy I've, I've read in business books or heard on business podcasts before about like I, I can't remember. It has a name, but like it's like the little coffee shop conundrum or something where, you know, if you really like coffee, owning a coffee shop is very different where it's like you shouldn't necessarily make something that you enjoy your job because the realities of owning a coffee shop, you know, entails managing employees and doing inventory and cleaning the bathrooms at the coffee shop. And it has very, very little to do with drinking coffee. Yeah. It's like opening a restaurant. Totally. Same thing. Like so many foodies are like, I want to open a restaurant. Totally. But I think, you know, on the business sense, it's like just because you enjoy consuming something doesn't mean that that should be your job. Your job. But I think that this takes it further and it's really interesting where it's like, what is the thing that even though it has a bad part that you like so much that you want to do it? Mm -hmm. And like, not that it needs to be your job necessarily, but it's like, what is the thing that you want to do even though it's not always easy or ideal? Yes. Yeah. What about the section about interruptions? I thought, and I don't know if it was in the specific section, you took way more detailed notes than I was, and I tried to just slot mine into where I thought they came from. But she talks about, in some place, about keeping your day job. And I think that I am 
Well, I'm seeing myself as a more creative person. I do see myself somewhat as a little bit of a black and white person where I have trouble with like the in-between sometimes where I'm very like binary. And she talks about keeping your day job and that your creativity doesn't need to pay you. It doesn't need to be like you can be creative without it being your whole thing. And I thought that that was really interesting. And she talks about, you know, all these writers who I think mostly specifically writers, but who did, who wrote books in like little bits of time and like they had all these interruptions and it was like, you can't let that derail you. And, you know, the more and more I listen to interviews with with authors, it's like the more successful you are, the more demands there are on your time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I feel like everyone says that it's like, I'm waiting for this mythical time when I can do something with no interruptions where it's like, I don't have a day job. I don't have any, you know, fit demands of my life. Like I don't have to do laundry. I don't have to care for my children, whatever. Where it's like everyone's looking for this ideal time. And it's like, no, you need to learn to live with that. Because like, even if you, let's say you you go off on a beach vacation and lock yourself away and you like write this book, if you're successful at it, then you're going to need to be promoting that book. And it's like when you write the next book, there's going to be all these demands on your time. So it's like working within the interruptions as opposed to like, putting it off until some unrealistic ideal state could can be reached. Yeah, I agree. I would I had this conversation with Jackie before getting to this chapter in the book and we were talking I was just like I had this epiphany one day. I was like there's always just going to be like something annoying to deal with. It's never going to just be perfect and I need to just get to a place where I'm not letting these interruptions or disturbances throughout my day like derail the whole day. I just go about my business and and can like control my reaction to the interruption. Like for example, this is this is a much more physical interruption. Like I live on the ground floor. I am an influencer and I get a lot of mail. So every day my door probably rings at least 10 times and I'll be in the thick of writing something or like editing a collage or editing images or, you know, just trying to think. And it's, it can be so hard to think. And I realized that I need to change my reaction and how I handle it as opposed to getting annoyed by it because it's always going to be there. There's always going to be something that's an interruption. Yeah. And I think it's about finding your, what works for you, because I will say like, I, I have a hard time being creative in one hour snippets. Like I need to have a couple of hours of time to like get into something versus just being able to be like, I have a sn- little snippet of time. Yeah, I can't be like 30 minutes of creative time. Like, yeah. I need like a big block. But like on the whole, I think, you know, the idea of it's never going to be perfect. So you might as well learn to live with it. Yeah. Another comparison I loved was treating your mind like a pet. And I really liked the whole quote, give your mind a job to do or else it will find a job to do. And you might not like the job it invents. So it's funny because I think I wrote this, I wrote down the second half of this section, this quote, this also really resonated with me, but I wrote down, if I'm not actively creating something, then I'm probably actively destroying something. Yes. Myself or relationship or my own mind. Yes. So it's like you need to keep your mind focused. I've really learned this year that my mind is my worst enemy. It's not all the interruptions or like the shit that I have to do or people on the internet. It's it's me. It's it's my mind and how I and I need to be better at controlling where it goes, the thoughts that it has, the negative um 
little like voice that's telling me that I suck or that um, my everybody hates me or that my friend is mad at me or like all of those things. Like, and I just loved this, that whole comparison and to treat, like you really have to like train your mind. Like you'd train a dog. I took away something completely different from this section uh, where I kind of was taking the practical application was quarantine. And it's like keeping your mind busy as opposed to just living in the boredom where I felt the need, the compulsion to be busy during quarantine. I want to have projects. I want to have stuff going on. Like I don't just want to sit and watch Netflix. And I think this kind of articulated kind of why where it's like, I need to keep my my mind busy and have a purpose and have a project. Yeah. Um, because otherwise I'm going to make myself miserable. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I went with the practical application. That's funny. I think that my mine is similar, but like if I don't stay busy, my mind goes all over the place. Like it literally invents like prior to deciding to move to Charleston. This is again, it's not a creative thing, but it's something that was on my mind as I was reading this. Like I was so convinced that one of my friends knew and was angry at me. She just had a busy day. She just didn't reply to my texts. Like she was she was living her life. Which brings me to another section that I loved, which was that nobody is thinking of you. Like and it, that was a realization I had somewhere along the course of my 30s. Like we are all so focused on ourselves and what we like and thinking about oh did I do this right did I do that right like is my outfit okay is my hair okay like am I living my best life like am I making the right choices that we are not really thinking about other people that much like I mean of course we're thinking about others because we're considerate humans but I thought that that part was really important in realizing like no your friend is probably not mad at you they're probably just busy with their own stuff yeah the the last part of the section really resonated with me too where she talks about done being better than perfect or done being better than good. Yes. And I I agree with this. I would say, you know, in in jobs and in a business setting like I've always I like the first 90% of a project. I hate the last 10%. Like I hate, you know, squeezing that last juice out making something perfect. It's it's not what I'm good at. It's not like what I enjoy. So it was it was gratifying to see see her say that. But then I think it also, you know, it applies was so interesting. She talks about this book that she wrote and there was like a very obvious problem with it that she decided not to fix. She like, you know, she was like, hey, I wrote this novel. There's a character that kind of like doesn't make sense and is like kind of flat. And I thought about fixing it, but in order to fix it, I would have had to take the whole book apart. I didn't really want to do that. I would have added length to an already long book. And she's like, so I just like put it out into the world. And she's like, you want to know what happened? Nothing. (laughs) Like she's like maybe one or two people noticed, but like on the whole, it was like not a big deal. And that really resonated with me. And then also just like I, I, it wasn't even like something she specifically talked about, but it was something I kind of just gleaned through her anecdotes where it was like just the idea that other people's work doesn't start out perfect. It's a process and you have to commit to it and you have to keep going. And it really reminded me of, I took a screenshot of this quote from Jasmine Guillory, her Instagram story. And it was a regram from somebody else. So (laughs) this is a very long chain. Um, But it's from, it's a screenshot of somebody's story. Her name is Eve Ewing. 
E-W-I-N-G. I'm, I'm not positive who that is. And somebody asked her in a, in a Q&A, do you ever get tripped up by how quote unquote bad you think your first draft is? And her answer was, no, all my first drafts are bad. They've always been and will always be bad. If you stir flour and sugar and eggs into a bowl and look at it and say, this doesn't look like anything, it's bad and I quit, you never get to eat cake. You have to have faith that if you put it in the oven, it can be something else. (laughs) And this analogy like ripped my mind open of like, yeah, of course it's not. It's a process. And it makes so much sense with the cake analogy. But for some reason, whether it's, you know, painting a painting or writing a book or something else, it just like seems as though everyone's finished product was born fully formed. Oh, that's interesting. I've always, I've never really felt that way. I've always felt, I've just known that it takes a while to get something to where it is. Try writing a book and then see what comes out of your brain and then look at it and you're like, why is this awful? I have. And it wasn't good. And that's why there was no book. Yeah. Yeah. What about trust? How did you, you said this was the other section that really stuck with you. Yeah. So just the whole idea that like of approaching and creating from a place of lightness. She talks about a few things. First of all, the idea that suffering is overrated, um, the way that we fetishize it. um, And I feel like that is such a dominant theme in the book. And it goes along with her whole part about creating from this place of lightness. And I love the part about trickster energy, as she called it. Mm-hmm. And I really, we re- I referenced it earlier. I loved the Brene Brown story about how Brene was always so academic and felt that she had to be like sitting down, like silently torturing herself as she wrote and realizing that she could do it from a place of lightness and happiness. Um, The other thing I really loved was she had this comparison. It was just funny. It was like, imagine if we looked at um, the tormented janitor or tormented pharmacist, the way that we look at the tormented artist. (laughs) Like a tormented artist is allowed to like be an asshole, to like kind of be terrible to date, to kind of, I don't know, get away with a lot of stuff. And like it's just like oh yeah they're they're a tormented artist they drink too much that's just the way they are could you imagine if it was like oh that well he's a tormented pharmacist or a tormented janitor like that's why he acts like that yeah it just made me like I laughed out loud at that part yeah but the part of creating out of lightness versus suffering was the the kind of theme that stuck with me most here I think the section in this chapter. Or, or section that that stuck with me the most was about passion and curiosity. Yes, that too. Where she says it's really unhelpful to tell somebody to follow their passion because if they had a clear passion, odds are they're already following it. Mm-hmm. And instead, you know, following your curiosity and being curious. And, you know, it might seem like a time waster, but that's one way to follow the clues. And it really reminded me, if you think back to Eat, Pray, Love, which she also wrote, and I, I, this part has stuck with me where she's talking to herself and she says, like, Liz, what do you want to do? And it's like just opening up your, your brain to have that curiosity as opposed to like being so rigid. Yes. And also the way she talks about how curiosity is really steady versus passion, which really comes and goes. And just like saying like follow your interests like what is like one little thing that you are curious about or want to learn about and that's kind of like what drives me with my blog like i don't really stick to a theme it's like what am i interested in this week and what do i want to write about and like 
I really liked her gardening story. Like I how did too. It turned into like three years of gardening, which ultimately turned into that book that she wrote. And I don't know, like during quarantine, I really related because like when I was growing my little tomatoes, it was much less significant than her large garden. But like my little patio garden, I felt like so much joy from that. And also like even though I barely grew any tomatoes, it was so fulfilling for me. Yeah. Let's take one last quick ad break. So we've already talked about how we're cooking more at home, but when I am fresh out of ideas, my savior is HelloFresh. So with HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable, which is why it's America's number one meal kit. So for me, when I'm having a busy or stressful week, the hardest part about cooking is not the actual cooking. It is absolutely the planning. So I love that HelloFresh takes care of that for me and saves me a trip to the grocery store. And all of their recipes are quick and easy and designed to get dinner on the table in just 30 minutes. And they have over 23 recipes each week featuring a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients so you don't get bored. Okay, so I have to tell you about one of my best ever HelloFresh meals that I had earlier this month. And Grace knows because I had her upstairs for dinner for this one. So I got the buffalo spiced crispy chicken breasts. And I love anything buffalo, but this blew my mind. First of all, I'm not usually a huge fan of chicken breasts. I just think they're so boring and dry out, but these were not. It was like a spicy panko topping that kept it really moist and was so good. And then it was drizzled with honey and a hot sauce. Plus, I learned a new cooking skill with this recipe, which was a way quicker way to make really delicious mashed potatoes. It was really shockingly easy. So do yourself a favor and definitely look out for this one on the menu. I actually saved the recipe card so I could make it again. And if you've never done a meal kit or you've been burned by another service before and are afraid of the commitment, I just want to tell you that HelloFresh is so flexible. You can customize your orders every week and easily change your delivery days or food preferences or skip a week whenever you need to. So if you're ready to try HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash 10BOP and use code 10BOP for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash 10BOP and use code 10BOP for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Okay, let's get into the, I guess, wrap up. I didn't have really anything to say about the last chapter, which is called Divinity. And that was kind of, it was a a much shorter chapter. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to kind of touch on what the two things that just stuck out to me were about this book, which was first the joy with which she approaches creativity, but also it isn't this loosey-goosiness where it's like, it's magical and it will happen. Like She also really talked about hard work. And it was like the combination of those two things being the recipe Mm -hmm. that really stuck with me from this book. Yeah. The, The joy and the lightness and not being scared. But also the hard work. It's clear yes. she's a hard worker. So Yeah. And she says multiple times, like, of course, like the mo- the majority of my day isn't spent like creating ideas and, and being joyful. It's like spent researching and writing and slogging through and, you know, creating something that's really terrible and refining it. Yeah. But it was re- really reassuring. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious if you have any other nonfiction books you've read about creativity or life that you would equate to this. Um, yes. So I would say Daring Greatly by Brene Brown is 
excellent. There's another book, and I have to remember who wrote it. It's called Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit. <laughs> it's a short book, why that is and what you can do about it, and it's by Stephen Pressfield. I think you'd like it because there's definitely chapters about writing books and writing screenplays. I read it to like help me with my writing for my blog, but it's it's wonderful, and it really puts yourself – It's it, it, it helps to spark some creativity, but it's also a lot of tough love. Yeah. I was I already mentioned it earlier in the episode, but I do think I really enjoyed Like Brothers by Mark and Jay Duplass. And they talk about how they approach their creativity specifically as screenwriters and directors, but they talk a lot about process and ideas. And it was very interesting to see into how they do it with another person mm-hmm. as opposed to just by themselves. I really enjoyed it. I, I like both of them too as actors and I like their I've watched a couple of their movies. And then I just started a book today, which feels akin to this, perhaps. So I'll mention it, but I, I'm not no, no refunds if we get to the end of the book and it isn't a good um, a good recommendation that's similar to this. But um, I put on my Instagram story last week uh, a Q and A box asking for people. Um, what books they recommended that were about writing specifically. And a bunch of them came back and said this book, Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. And I just started it and it it does feel similar to Big Magic in terms of, you know, how she talks about her life and how she's approached creativity. Um, so I think that could be a, another similar read if you liked this. Awesome. Should we get to some end matter? Yeah, I'd love to get to some end matter. What? Are you obsessed with on Instagram this week? Well, this actually came from you. So oh, I love this one. I am obsessed with an Instagram account called Nine Types Co. And this is an Enneagram account that I didn't know about until you shared something from it. You know, maybe what's funny a week is ago. I love this account. I follow it all the time. I've been referring it as to it as Ninety Pesco <laughs> in my head. <laughs> and that makes and I was like, I don't know. She just posts Enneagram stuff like. <laughs> But it's Nine Types Co. <laughs> I'm not okay. 90 Pesco. <laughs> I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm it's re- kind of like Beth Aaron Five. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so Nine Types Co. It's an Enneagram account and it's um it's like serious, like it's like helpful content, not like funny Enneagram content. Um and I, I'm just so into the Enneagram. It's like the the best my own personality has ever been explained to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm very into this account. What's yours? So mine is um it's I'm still not okay. <laughs> Ninety Pesco. Ninety Pesco. <laughs> Ninety Pesco. <laughs> Sorry, that is so funny. Like I, I was like, yeah, Ninety Pesco. It's an Enneagram account. Oh my god, what I is wish, wrong with me? I wish you'd recommended it instead of me, and you you said Ninety Pesco. <laughs> Mine is a comedian, and it's J-A-Z-M-Y-N-J-W. So it's Jasmine, but it's just spelled a little bit differently than, like, Jasmine Guillory's name. And she is a comedian, and she's hilarious. And she's been doing all these videos where she plays, um, like, the HR woman in the in – the, um, Oh, I've seen <laughs> she, those. And she's, like, checking people out, and she's like, all right, bye, Donald. Like, oh, yeah, before you go to jail, uh-huh. And she's just so funny, and it just really brought me a lot of joy this week to watch her. Like, she's, like, basically, like, 
impersonating, like checking in Kamala, checking the Trumps out, like the, the things she says. She's just very funny. What about on non-Instagram obsessions? So mine this week is a company called 13 Loon. So it is a like kind of like a violet gray for black and brown owned beauty brands. So most of the brands on the site I had never heard of before. And I do not need skincare, but I was like, maybe I'll like treat myself to a new serum or a body scrub. And all the things that I wanted were sold out. But it's like a beautiful website and they have a lot of cool new brands. And you know how I am with like discovering yeah. new beauty products. Oh, that's so interesting. Is it like on the higher end, like Violet yeah. Gray too? Yeah, but there's things that aren't that expensive on there too. But like the, think of like the photography and the imagery. And yeah, yeah. It's all like it's very high end and like really beautifully styled. Um, I started following them on Instagram and like like now I've been like stalking their founder and I just love what they're doing. Oh, nice. Yeah. What about you? I don't have one. I, I was like trying to come up with one and I couldn't. And I was like, nobody needs me to recommend something to them that I'm half-hearted about. So I'm skipping this week. Skip it. I do have books though. What did you read? So I read On Writing by Stephen King. And I feel like this is recommended as one of the best writing books out there. I didn't love it. Oh, really? I mean, take it with a grain of salt because so many people did. I don't really care for Stephen King. I, I don't care about him at all. Oh, and see, I, I love I him. don't care for his books. Okay. Well, that's the thing. I wouldn't recommend a book by Stephen King to you. Right. It's not really your your, right. your shtick. But even still, this is a – it's like a book about writing, not yeah. about that. But, you know, he tells the stories of his books and, and his life. And I, I was struggling to be interested in it. And then the section that is more purely about writing, I didn't find super helpful. Um, like it was a lot of things I'd heard before or that were like overly generic. And I don't know. I didn't – it wasn't my fave. Mm-hmm. Then I read a book this weekend, then you read it too, and we liked it so much that it's going to be our February book club pick. It sure is. Announcement time. So it's If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha. Yes. And it is uh, so interesting. It's a book. It's set in South Korea in present day in Seoul, and it follows uh, four women who all live in the same apartment building. And um, – some of them are friends. Some of them don't know each other. And they all come from different backgrounds. And it's about their life experiences. They're all in their 20s and 30s. And it was fascinating. Like, there was a lot about um, status in in South Korea. There was a lot about plastic surgery, which was I did riveting. so much Googling. There was um, one plot line about uh, um, being – abroad in America as like a very wealthy um, international type person. Mm-hmm. Um, it was great. It was excellent. I felt like I learned so much from it. And also I felt like it was a wild ride with all the plastic surgery stuff, but I also felt like it was so well told and the character development was really, really great. Even though it was hard for me to relate to most of the characters because we had such different backgrounds, like grew up in entirely different countries. I really felt for each one of those women. Um, and I just – I really liked it. It was also just unlike anything I've ever read. I, I yeah. guess I haven't really read much about South Korea and it really felt transportive in a way that I felt like I was learning and it was so interesting. Yeah. I agree. What did you read? 
Okay, so first of all, I finished this book. I was literally rereading it until this afternoon. This book being Big Magic. Yes, Big Magic. Then I finished Heavy by Kiese Lehman, which is his memoir. I talked a little bit about it last week, but it deals with racism and being overweight and having an eating disorder as a man and just his whole life and his childhood. Um, It's excellent. And it's really like it kind of – reminded me in a very strange way of something Elizabeth Acevedo would write because it was so poetic. Oh, interesting. Just the way that he – and maybe it was just the way he was reading it. So I don't – I I listened to oh, this you listened to it. versus reading it, but I absolutely loved it. Also on the audiobook front, I started listening to The Lynching by Lawrence Lemer. And this is fascinating and upsetting. It – um. It's about the Klan, and it is about a really terrible race-based killing in 1981 and the trials that undid the Klan, ultimately. And it's I can't stop listening to it. Like, anytime I get a chance, like, whether it's, like, put away my laundry or to, like, do the dishes or, like, running around the house, like, doing chores and things, like, I find myself, like, making excuses to listen to it. It's really, really, it's really, really sad, but, and I'm only two hours into listening to it, but I, I'm enjoying it so far and really learning quite a bit. It's like a good history lesson. Kind of like I said earlier, I've always been like a little bit of a history nerd. Um, the next book I read, which was almost our book club pick, but we ended up picking If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha instead. And that was The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. I still think that, what? Were you looking at? Oh, no, I'm Becca just, made I'm a just face nodding. at me and I thought maybe there was something I wasn't supposed to say. No, I was um, just nodding. I'm interested. So this book, I hope that we make it a book club pick at some point because I think there's so much to talk about. This book is about this woman, Nora. And Nora has kind of like made a series of life decisions where she went from being this incredible swimmer who like loves like um, science and had all the these opportunities in front of her to like working this kind of dead-end job in a music store and one day her cat dies and she decides that it's time to kill herself. And so we don't ever find out exactly how she tries to kill herself. I think it was maybe pills or something. And she finds herself transported to this midnight library um, where she's the only one in there and she's with her high school or her, her childhood librarian. And she has the chance to to read all of these different books and every book is kind of a what if like what if one of she she had followed something so what if she pursued swimming professionally what if she went to live on a glacier what if she married that man that she had broken off her engagement with what would have happened and i think that this book left me feeling very inspired and kind of left me with the message that you're right where you need to be and that regret is futile and I loved it. I just – I couldn't put this down. Becca was like – you know how Becca is. Like she's like, you need to read this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to read a murder. Like it's by a white man and like I'm trying to read more books by, frankly, like female women from different backgrounds than 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 mine. So I was like, I'm not reading this white man book. And I – you just loved it so much that I – Well, I very rarely give you a book. I very rarely put a book in your hand and say read this. I know. But at the end of the day, like when I have my white man books, I want to read a murder. Because <laughs> there's a lot of them writing writing murders. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly struggling to find good murders written by black or other people of color. So, 
Oh, this book. It's incredible. I can't recommend it enough. It was an absolute A plus. And I think at some point, maybe next time we can't pick a book, we should just pick this and have a, a talk about it because I thought it was wonderful. It's a, If you're looking for a book club pick for your in-person book club, it's a very good discussion book that I think like anyone would have things that they related to and could talk about. Yeah. So then I read <laughs> – I read a lot this week. Then I read If I Had Your Face by Francis Cha, which we just talked about, and it's our book club pick, and I'm so excited about that. I didn't read as much this week because I was knitting a hat. Oh, that yeah. explains it. Can't do both. And you can listen to an audiobook, though. I guess so. I like to listen to Taylor Swift music while I knit a hat, or I caught up on the bold type. So, oh, you know. okay. Is there more bold type? I was behind. Okay. Then last night I started a memoir about a woman who worked for a magazine, and I just was like, I'm getting nothing out of this. I'm I'm going to DNF it. So I'm proud of myself. I think this is the year we both DNF a lot more than we I used to. I think so, too. Like, I have piles of books. I'm, I'm not going to sit and slog through something that's mediocre. Yeah. Um, or even if it's not mediocre, if I'm just not liking it. Because yeah. there's plenty of really well-written books out there, but they're just not my thing. Yeah. Agree. So tonight, when you leave, once I order sushi, I'm going to start Finley Donovan is Killing It by El Cosimano, which you loved. I did. I'm curious to see what you think about because it is – it's like a – it's a comedy murder book. Well, if it's too campy, I will DNF it, but we will stay tuned for my final thoughts next week. I loved it. I thought it was it was very fun and, uh, again, like a non-scary thriller. And that one doesn't come out until February 2nd, so it's coming out really soon. Okay. Yeah. So, big, big, big week of reading. So that's what we got for you. But you know what else we have for you? We have a bonus episode tomorrow with Elizabeth Gilbert that I cannot wait to share with you. Please, 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 please tune listen. In. Like, and if, if you know people who – haven't read the book, they can listen to. Like, this is just a great episode for anyone. You do not need to have read the book. Absolutely. I assume if you made it to the end of this episode, you did read the book. But yes. yeah, it's the, it might be my favorite episode we've ever recorded. I don't know. So please tune into that. And in the meantime, we would love to hear your thoughts on Big Magic. Come talk about it with us in the Facebook group. Um, you can also uh, follow us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. My blog is thestripe.com. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. And my other podcast is a fiction podcast called Rom-Com Pods that I would love for you to check out. Bye. Bye, guys. 